and some key points about wisdom. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And we live in a very foolish society, um, which gives no regard to wisdom. And so as a result, without realising, we can find ourselves not giving it um, too much thought, not praying about it much. It's a big, big deal. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to help me to give me wisdom as I speak. Give you wisdom, wise hearts to hear and receive God's word. Father, thank you that your word always achieves the purpose for which you sent it. Always accomplishes your purposes. Thank you, Father, that it never returns to you void. Never returns without having accomplished what it accomplished. And Father, I want to pray for the people here today. Everyone in slightly different places. Some who might not even know you or believe in you. Others who may well believe in you but struggling like mad to trust and follow you. Others on the mountaintops having a great time following you. I want to pray, Lord, that for each of those categories of people and any others I haven't thought of, I want to pray your word would accomplish its purpose. Please, God. I want to pray, God, that you would even, even as I'm praying now, by your spirit, you would grant a softness of heart to people so that they would receive what you're saying. Even if, it's going to, even if it does come through a, a flawed vessel, I pray, Lord, that they would receive something beautiful from you. Pray for ears to hear what you are saying. Pray for discernment, Lord God, to be able to separate between the thoughts of man and the word of God. Pray that life and grace and joy and liberty would come. Pray that peace would come. Pray that hope would come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what is wisdom? Well, it really basically means to live well. It's more than knowledge. It's more than accruing facts. You sometimes meet people who are experts in their field. They understand, they can give you, uh, you know, the, the whole lineup of how something works. Filled with knowledge. But then their life is marked by immaturity, um, crazy mistakes, unnecessary pain and regret and what you have in that situation is someone with a lot of knowledge and not much wisdom now knowledge is good but it's different from wisdom wisdom is about living well it's about knowing how to live life well which you have to learn none of us are born with wisdom none of us are born knowing how to navigate life how to do well in relationships etc etc but here's the thing If I say it's living well, you might say, yeah, fine, it's living well. But all of us might have different aims or goals in mind. So we've got to be clear. We've got to be on the same page. How do we define having lived well? Well, the Westminster Confession defines the purpose for our existence as being to uh, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay? So to live well is to live in such a way that God is glorified and you enjoy his goodness. So your life brings glory to God. Something about the way you live points to him and pleases him and extends his fame and it also at the same time increases and enhances your joy and delight in him who is the fountain of delights. That's what we should be about. And that God is willing to give you the kind of wisdom that will lead you to live in that kind of a life. If your aim is something else, I can't guarantee you that what I'm going to say is going to help you. Because you're after something different. You may call that wisdom. You might say, well, I'm about winning, making friends and influencing people. All well and good. Not a bad thing, but really not ultimate. Really not ultimate. There is something that we are created for ultimately. It's to glorify him. Our whole lives should shout 
there is a God. Not just when we tell people about him, but something about the way we speak in general, something about the way we carry ourselves, something about the way um, we relate to others, the choices that we make. When we don't speak, everything about us should shout, there is a God and he's amazing, he's glorious. It's a high calling. So first thing about wisdom is living well. This is just by way of introduction. But you've got to have your sights clear. What does it mean to live well? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Secondly, we are supposed to be wise because we're image bearers of God. And he's wise. In Romans 16, it describes God as the only wise God. Genesis 1 says that we are made in his image. So we are to look wise if we are reflecting him. It's important to say this. Because I think that sometimes perhaps people can kind of think to themselves, you know, it's just not me. I'm not one of those wise types. I'm always putting my foot in it. I'm always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. You're guaranteed. Some people are more prone to that. (laughs) And they can find themselves kind of thinking, oh no, I've done it again. Am I ever going to get it? Well, the Bible says you've been made in the image of God. The Bible says that God is wise. Now the way you reflect his image will look different from Mr. or Mrs. Quiet. Okay, or Mr. or Mrs. Discreet, it will look different, but something of the glory of God will come through through how he works his wisdom into your personality. So we ought to be wise if we are believers because we've been reconciled to him and part of God's original purpose, of course, is that we reflect his glory so we are now, as we've been reconciled in Christ, able to do that. Third thing by way of introduction is this. Wisdom is mostly to do with relationships. Mostly to do with how you relate to friends, how you spot trustworthy, untrustworthy people, how you, um, how you work out your sexuality and your sexual drive and sexual passions, how you approach work, how you approach finances, um, how you approach those in authority over you, those you're in authority over, how you, how you relate to your peers, how you relate to your parents, how you relate to your children, discipline your children... Wisdom covers relationships mostly. So they're the kind of things we'll be covering through this series. So we'll look at things like friendships. We'll probably do a whole week devoted to friendships. Probably do a whole, whole week devoted to sexual purity. A whole week devoted to parents. A whole week devoted to laziness and hard work. A whole week devoted to children and bringing up children. And obviously the majority of us in this church don't have children. But, if, you know... If, if statistics are anything to go by, the majority of us will. So it's good to get it in place beforehand. Workplace. Corruption in the workplace. How do you deal with corruption in the workplace? It's in there. It's in the book of Proverbs. Speech. So, sounds good? Yeah. All right. Well, let's overview wisdom. That's the introduction. We're going to look at seven things about wisdom. You ready on the slides, John? Okay. Point number one. The foundation of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. As we see from Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. There's something foundational in wisdom. You can't just say, right, now I'm going to accrue wisdom. You're building something. You're building a life. You're saying, God, I want to build a life that looks good. God says, great, here's the foundation, the fear of the Lord. It starts somewhere. 
You don't just say, okay, right, teach me about friendships, let's, get, understand, let's understand about sexual purity. No, those things come later. What comes first and really dictates the entire shape and strength and size of what you're able to build is that the fear of the Lord is established in your heart. It's massive. Very, very important. It's like a cornerstone. When you put your cornerstone in, the cornerstone in a, in a, in a foundation affects the line of the building. It affects the straightness of the building. The way you lay a foundation, if you don't lay it well, sooner or later, and here's the scary thing, because it might not be sooner, but sooner or later, that building will fall under the weight of what's been put on it. And in the same way, if we haven't got the fear of the Lord established in our hearts, minds, lives, if that's not in there, then sooner or later, adversity will cause what you are building to crumble. As Jesus said, he spoke about the guy, didn't he, who built his house on the sand, compared with the guy who built his house on the rock. When the storm came, because they will, the guy whose house was built on the rock still faced the storm, but he didn't move. Why? The foundation was in place. The guy who built his house in the sand didn't bother with all that digging stuff. Oh man, this is get the thing up. Crash. Circumstances will conspire together and bring what you're building down. You've got to get the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It is that deep-seated trembling in the midst of your being where you know that ultimately it's about him, not about you. Ultimately, he is to be worshipped regardless of anything that's going on, not just because things are going well. Ultimately, it, it produces in you a fear of sin, a healthy fear of sin. A friend of mine, uh, an older pastor, he spoke, told me about a story once where his wife um, went into labour, into the, into the hospital, and then he got, and then um, they had good friends with their, with their I think, the next door neighbours, and the wife came around to help the guy with his other children while his wife was in labour. And this, um, this, this, wife, this woman, this neighbour came round and she basically, she basically said uh, to this man, she said, you know that my husband doesn't treat me well. I've always loved the way you treat your wife. Let's sleep together. So his wife's in labour with, I think, their third child and this attractive neighbour comes round and basically, as openly as that, says, let's sleep together. He says there was one thing in that moment there was one thing that kept me. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is one of those things when everything else is stripped away. Because sometimes, you know, you don't sin. Why? Well, as a believer, because you're just, you're so, walking so close with the Lord that you just, the thought of it repels you. Other times, you know, there's just, you've got God's heart for someone else and they would be so affected by this sin i.e. the man's wife, you know, you think, I'm not going to do it. There are other times where you just maybe emotionally run down, maybe even physically you're run down, your defences are down, maybe you've just not been walking closely with the Lord particularly or whatever, and the opportunity to sin arises. In that moment, the only thing that will keep you is the fear of the Lord. I just can't. I'm too plain scared. That's good. That's really good. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's where wisdom starts. It's the foundation. Many Christians don't understand the fear of the Lord. That's frightening. 
But very often they would have been brought up with, with just a caricature of the Lord, lots of truth, but missing various things that's caused them to see just God and Jesus is just, just nice. <laughs> and he is. And loving. And he is. And merciful. And he is. And compassionate. And he is. But he's scary as well. And if that's never got into your spirit, you're lacking, you're missing something. So the fear of the Lord is where wisdom starts. Get it. Get it. Get in your Bible passages about the judgment of God. To get it into your system that he is to be feared. It's a beautiful fear. The Bible says, um, Psalm 2, kiss the Lord and rejoice with trembling. It's not a horrible thing. It's not a fear that keeps you away from him. It's a fear that draws you near, but it draws you near reverently. You're attracted by his glory. He's not some bizarre, fluffy old man caricature you've created. I mean, we want to spend time with him, you know, except if it's Christmas, you know, fine. But what's the glory in that? But when you see God as the Bible reveals him, you think, I want to draw near on my knees, but with full assurance of faith. Yeah? The fear of the Lord, number one, first thing. Any life without that at its foundation is fundamentally flawed. And I want to urge you in that. The main point of the morning, if you like. Get that. Get that. With all you're getting, get that. Number two, wisdom is very available. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's very, very available. Listen to Proverbs 1, verse 20 to 23. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. What an invitation. This is wisdom saying, it's not like some subtle, quiet thing. Wisdom cries out, come on, come in, turn aside, I want to teach you. It says, you see the zeal in the heart of God to equip you to live well. You haven't got to twist God's arm. You haven't got to cajole and convince. There's a willingness in the heart of God to teach you wisdom. And I think there's some interesting things from this passage. If you notice, you know, in the street, in the markets, at the head of the noisy street, she cries out. And the first point I want to make is this, is that there is a wisdom to be learned in the daily, um, daily going about of life. There is wis- wisdom cries out, not just in the scripture, in the workplace. There is op- spot things. There are things to see. You'll see people relating in certain ways, and then you'll see the consequences of that. And you'll spot it and you'll learn. Yeah, in the marketplaces, what there is, there is in life, God has provided a, a, a creation that is brimming with lessons to be learned. Don't just get locked into an unhelpfully booky mentality. It's not helpful. Look at what happens in Isaiah. Can we have the slide, John? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. Your workplace is filled with the glory of God. Your workplace is filled with image bearers of God. Your workplace is filled with things to be learned about the kingdom. Your home is. Creation is. 
And so there's a wisdom there. So you should be saying, God, show me, teach me, break me out. I'm just having a kind of a, oh, I'm learning spiritual things and I'm at church and when I'm having my quiet time and reading my Bible, now, God, open my eyes to your glory in creation. Open my eyes to what you are doing in life. And then secondly, in the scriptures. If we go to 2 Timothy here, thanks, John. But as for you, continuing what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I plead with you to learn to love this book. I plead with you to learn to love this book. Whatever you do, do not fall into that thing of, okay, done, that, done my chapter for the day. No! That is not how to read your Bible. John Piper says this, he says, he says, through raking, you can get a whole bunch of leaves. Through digging, you can get a whole bunch of jewels. Dig! <laughs> Don't rake! I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If you ask me for some advice on reading your Bible, give me one word advice on reading your Bible. Slowly. Slowly. Honour the word. God wants to make you wise for salvation. God wants to make you wise so you can live a life that glorifies him and a life where you can enjoy him forever. This is so important. So wisdom is very, very available. There's no need to think that it will escape you or that you'll be overlooked or mysteriously disqualified. Watch that one. Some people say, yeah, I know you're saying that, Steph, but with me, it's different. That is incredibly arrogant. I say that with warmth and softness. (laughs) To create for yourself a category that is your own category, when God, who knows all things in his scripture, has said this is how it is, is incredibly self-important. That's how it is. It's there for you. Do you believe me? Yes. All right. Number three. Although wisdom is very available, we must avail ourselves of it. Okay? We must avail ourselves. We must get wisdom. Listen to this. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Just because God is keen to give us wisdom, it doesn't mean it's going to drop into our lap. You've got to get that because there's a tension to walk there. But God's so keen and so zealous and it's all about grace. Surely it's just going to drop in. No. It won't. There's things to do. It involves, firstly, making your ear attentive. James 1.19, what does it say? Please, John, it says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Incline your ear. Slow to speak. Incline your ear. God, what are you saying? Show me through the scriptures. What's going on? I don't get it. Teach me. Help me. Also, we're told that we are to incline our heart to understanding. Proverbs 3, verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Right? Don't say, well, I know how to do that. No, say, God, I want to incline my heart to understanding. Lord, what are you saying? God, maybe I don't understand this person. Maybe I've made assumptions there. God, I'm not going to just assume I know it. Incline my heart to understanding. 
calling out, raising our voice. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. God, give me wisdom. You've got to actually ask God. And I think sometimes we just think, oh, I haven't got wisdom and I don't know what to do. We leave it there. No, you move on from there and say, God, show me. Show me what to do. And the promise is God who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given. It will be given. What a promise. That's a beautiful promise. Why? What's, what are your two favourite words in there? My two favourite words in there are this, without reproach. Maybe your Bible says, without finding fault. Because often when I come to God to ask for something, suddenly what am I aware of? A hundred and one faults. Anyone ever experienced that? <laughs> is it just me? Say, God, I really love this. Oh, yeah, no, just realised why it's not going to happen. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah. God gives generously to all without finding fault. He's so much bigger than you and me. <laughs> He's so much more generous than you and me. As if searching for treasure, perhaps the most vivid image in that whole passage from Proverbs 2, as if you were searching for treasure. I mean, come on, let's just think about this for a moment, right? You get given a treasure map. All right. I love treasure maps. <laughs> X marks the spot. Well, you, first thing you've got to do, you've got to hire a boat. And you've got to go somewhere with turquoise blue seas. So as you're floating over, you can look down and you see black bones placed in a cross <laughs> under the sea. And then what you've got to do, you've got to get under there. You've got, and you've got, it takes it's effort, but it's an effort of adventure. It's not dreary. It's not dull. It's an effort of huge adventure because I want to get there. So we've got to avail ourselves of it. And very often we come into folly and foolish mistakes because we've simply been what? Either disinterested or lazy in the wisdom of God. And so you say to yourself, well, if God's so keen, why is there so much effort required? Here's why. It's to ward off the disinterested and the lazy. Yeah, it's to say, do you know what? Your heart's all wrong. You value the wrong things. It ain't happening. Fourthly, our upbringing can help or hinder or both. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Hear, O son, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight. A parent has responsibility to teach their children wisdom, not just knowledge. Not just knowledge. You will really put the child in a very vulnerable position if you just teach them knowledge. Wisdom. Especially fathers. Especially fathers. Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is so important. We all have such different upbringings, don't we? Different experiences that we bring to the table. But I would say this, that parents should be teaching their children on money, should be teaching their children on the opposite sex. My girls are going to get so many lessons. (laughs) So many lessons on why boys are so ridiculous. <laughs> I am going to teach and train them as creatively, as graciously, as persistently as I know how. I will be there at the school gate. I will be watching for any, any <laughs> young, what's his name, who thinks he's going to pull my daisy with a, with a, with a, with a wink and a, and a pink lollipop, right? I'm going, to have, I'm going to have words. I'm going to, I'm going to teach 
my girls, I'm going to say, you watch out for those boys. Make sure you're looking for a guy who fears the Lord, who honours you. Spot the sign. Teach them the bad signs and the good signs. And teach Levi. And teach Levi. I'm sitting down teaching. Teach him about party girls, about flirts. Teach him about, teach him about girls that they just didn't want to get involved with. And teach him. You've got to teach your children. Teach him on friendships. Choosing good friends. What to look for. Teach him on hard work and laziness. And what laziness leads to. Teach them on righteousness, truthfulness. A parent has got a unique opportunity to lay a good foundation. It's so important we take that seriously. Alternatively, a parent can lay a bad foundation of racism, paranoia, being gullible, gossiping, slandering. Parents can lay a bad foundation as well. You model it by what you are. Kids will just pick up on it. Or no foundation. They're just laying no foundation, leaving kids to figure it out for themselves or to be brought up by MTV or brought up by internet chat sites. Now, I don't know what kind of upbringings. We've all had different ones, haven't we? But I want to just say this. At the start of this wisdom series, there may be some things that need undoing in you. You've been taught certain things and the scripture's going to come and it's going to cut right across what you think in an opposing direction. When that happens, I want to just ask you to be humble enough to question what you've always thought. So you can learn and grow in wisdom and live well. Sometimes I, I, I said it can help or hinder or both. In what sense both? Well, in the sense that imagine you've got a parent who was very diligent and very godly even and taught you certain things. And yet within that godly instruction came some other stuff that is just a bit... There was godliness, there was the instruction, then there was some other curveballs that came in. And you've just taken it as a whole package. And because your parents were so good and did such a good job with you, you've basically you've lost the discernment to be able to just find one or two things that actually do need undoing. So we just pray that God will give you wisdom so you can get, on a, get into a good place. Five, wisdom is worth more than you know. Listen to this. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Take this seriously. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing. Whatever you're praying for, wisdom is better. Whatever. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Can we have the next one please, John? For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Wisdom will seriously protect you. There's some horrible people out there. People that are just totally, you know, like us. <laughs> people that haven't experienced the mercy of God revealing to them their sinfulness and their corruption. People that haven't experienced the mercy of being woken up to Jesus and running to him. People who haven't known the miracle of a new heart 
being regenerated, being born again. I was just like some of these descriptions here. But God has had mercy, hallelujah. But wisdom is what wisdom will protect and guard and will keep you. And it won't guarantee you a pain-free life. I will say that. <laughs> but it will keep you from unnecessary pain and it will keep you from regret. And I think regret is the most painful part of pain. Yeah? You're going through something, but as a result of a really bad call, what's the most painful element to that? Why did I do it? Wisdom will keep you from that. A life of no regrets. How does that sound? Oh, sweet. Very, very sweet. It will guard you from harmful relationships. It will keep you from unnecessary early death. There are some things people get into and people get involved with certain people. And it leads to their untimely death. Why? They just got involved with this crazy person. Crazy, crazy person. Who anyone with an ounce of wisdom can spot a mile off. That person is trouble. This is serious stuff. Wisdom brings security. And you can become like David. Listen to David in Psalm 131. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvellous for me, but I've calmed and quieted my soul like a winged child with its mother. Like a winged child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Would you like that? For your soul to be like that within you? There's a humility there, isn't there? There's a humility. Humility and wisdom are linked like that. Because humility is basically saying, God, I don't know, and I really need you to show me. (laughs) Then God gives wisdom. Sixthly, and just so you know, there's only seven, okay? (laughs) Everyone's going, ah, is this still still going? Sixthly, wisdom is incredibly creative. Incredibly. It's not the dull and predictable route. The Lord possessed me, this is wisdom speaking, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depth I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth. Before he'd made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit, so the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight. Rejoicing. Oh, that word in Hebrew is playing. Playing before him always. Playing in his inhabited world. And delighting in the children of man. We have many creative people in Revelation Church. Praise God. We have a few that like to walk on the wild side as well. Given a choice to choose the wild side. And the danger might be, listening to me, you're thinking all this wisdom stuff. Sounds okay, but a bit boring. Yeah, it's just not me. I'm not that straight. You know, I'm eccentric, man. You know, I'm bohemian or whatever, right? Listen, I want to just say this. Wisdom enhances and inspires bold, unpredictable creativity whilst guarding against the folly that often masquerades as bold, unpredictable creativity. I'll say that again. Wisdom enhances and inspires bold, unpredictable creativity whilst guarding against the folly that often masquerades as bold, unpredictable creativity. The glories of creation are unsurpassed, are they not? Wisdom was there. 
as a master workman. That same wisdom says, I want to come and bring that creativity through you. It's not the dull, predictable option. It opens up previously unimagined vistas. It's glorious. So those of you that are boundary-pushing, wild side, creative types, seek after wisdom. All right? So you can do all of that to the glory of God whilst you're enjoying him forever. And finally, wisdom is part of our gospel inheritance. Because of him, as the Father, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I want to finish on this, looking at, very quickly, five minutes, how wisdom is part of our gospel inheritance. Firstly, Jesus' life is the ultimate example of wisdom. Is his life boring? (laughs) I mean, it's glorious. Miracle after miracle. Healing after healing. Deliverance after deliverance. Just unpredictable. I mean, unpredictable. (laughs) You know, one minute no fish, next minute boat sinking. One minute no food, next minute bread and fish everywhere. I mean, what's going to happen next? Drew crowds of thousands. Common people loved him. What a life. He is the example of wisdom. In what sense? In this sense. What was his life driven by? The fear of the Lord. I only do what I see the Father doing. Total submission, trust in the Father. His life is our example, is it not? If it isn't, then what life is? If you're a believer, a follower of Christ, you look to his life as an example. Now, very often the liberal Christians who deny Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross in our place, they don't like that. But what, so what they do, they emphasize Jesus as an example. As a result, evangelical Christians that are really into, no, Jesus died in our place, we tend to react to that, that example stuff. That's kind of that's on the fringes. We're into the death of Christ. Okay, yes, we're into the death of Christ. We'll look at that in a minute. But we're into the life of Christ as well. You haven't got to choose between the two. His life is a wonderful, beautiful example to us. You want to know how to face opposition? Look at Jesus. You want to know how to handle pressure? Look at Jesus. You want to know how to handle family situations? Look at Jesus. He is our example of wisdom. Secondly, his call, his life, and then his call. What, what, do I mean, what do I mean by that? He calls us to deny folly. He calls us to deny ourselves. He calls us to pick up our cross and dare to find life in death. He calls us to, to move in a direction completely opposite from the direction of the world, which says if you really want to find life, you've got to accumulate, get have as much stuff for you because it's all about you because you're worth it as possible okay and live that full life Jesus says no you want life you deny yourself you come follow me there's a call there to make Jesus calls us and then there's a call for us to make am I going to follow him to follow him is wisdom frightening but wisdom and then his death where he paid the price for our sin on the cross, where that sinless, glorious, beautiful saviour became sin for us. Why? So we in him could become the righteousness of God. He dies in our place. Why? So that our debt can be wiped clean and so that we can start afresh living a life of wisdom. Let me say this to you. If you're a believer, you've died to that old, sinful, foolish way of life so that you might live a life of wisdom. Please do so. Please do so. Don't just stop at that kind of tick the box phase. Okay, I've accepted Christ. What does that mean? 
It means he said, I've turned away from my folly. I've turned away from my independence. I've turned away from my pride. I know best. I've turned away from my unteachable prickliness. I've turned away from that and I've turned towards the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, show me. Show me through your word. Show me through your people that you've put into my life. Show me through my mistakes that I've made. Teach me and show me, Lord. Isn't that what we're after? Yes. It's wisdom. And then finally, he's giving of himself to us so that Jesus is willing to look at you and say, I am yours. You are mine. I, the perfectly wise one, give myself to you. I will be your wisdom. What a pledge. I will be, not just come to me and I've got some ideas. I will be your wisdom. Come to me and we will walk it through together. I will indwell you by my spirit. I will speak words of life and truth and direction into you. That is the gospel. That's where we're going over these next few weeks. I hope you're up for it. I believe God is going to help us and equip us to live radical lives for his glory. Amen. 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 Let's just pray. Father, it's one thing to sit here and affirm the truth of these things. It's another to work it out in the fires of life. So I pray for help. I ask you for help. We call on you. We invoke your aid. We say, help us. Help us as a people to learn wisdom. Help us to call out for wisdom. Help us to search for it as for treasure. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to forsake folly and sin in all its seductive attraction. God, help us, I pray. I pray for us as a church, Father. I pray that as you have given your personified wisdom, your beautiful son to us, the Lord Jesus, and as you have given him to us as our wisdom, that we would walk in it, I pray. That we would walk in it in the name of Jesus. Amen. A quick word to those of you who are here. Maybe you're thinking, do you know what? Sounds great, but this is all so new. I've never really heard much of this before. I don't really... Get this, what in a nutshell am I saying? In a nutshell I'm saying this, just to really concentrate it down. God made us to be in relationship with him and to trust him and to look to him. We turned away from him and chose instead to do our own thing. That is the height of folly and it's rooted in pride. God in his passionate love has pursued us and rescued us by sending his son to live, die and be raised in our place to pay the price for our sin. The debt that we owe God from our pride and our folly was all paid at the cross. It's glorious. I mean, it's just, he's, he's pursued us, even though he's the offended party. He's paid the price, even though we're the ones in debt. He calls us, not into a life where he can then, right now I've got you, I can really give you what for, but somebody can adopt us and love us and receive us as his own. It is mercy and grace on top of mercy, on top of grace. It is, it is almost too good to be true, but it's true. He wants you and he loves you. And the way you come into a relationship with God, the way you come to know him is simply this. You you acknowledge that you are in sin. That you are proud. That you need mercy. That's where it starts. You see your need. And then you see your need met in Jesus. And you say, Jesus, 
I want you to forgive me, cleanse me, and I want to follow you because you are amazing. You turn away from doing things your way and thinking you know best, and you say, Lord, I want to become one of your disciples. I want you to teach me how to live so I can fulfill what I was put here for, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen.